Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 382. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we have Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. Just a disclaimer at the top of the show. There's a car show happening right now where I live, literally right downstairs. So you may hear some loud car noises as I'm talking. And believe me, it's like 10 times more annoying to me than it will be for you because it's so loud and it's been nonstop since Friday night. So, yeah, uh, we're uh, definitely love it. Oh, my God. I'm just it's just it's so and, and, you know, like it's it got cool here. So we have the windows open, you know, like, no, let that nice Mm-mm. ocean breeze come in. But no, it's uh, it's it's a double-edged sword we're dealing with here got the nice breeze but it literally smells like gasoline in our living room i'm not i'm not shitting you it actually does (laughs) oh that sounds awful yeah it's crazy so again i'm I'm gonna try to like mute as much as i can to cut off my sound and try to fit like you know remove it in editing as much as i can but there might be some (laughs) car sounds and i apologize for that Anyway, we're kicking off the Halloween season with a bang this week, and we're going to be reviewing Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor Uncut, along with some of what we've been watching on the watch list, and this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. It'd be very helpful. I don't really have anything to go over with housekeeping, so I think we can just jump straight into our review. We're talking about Possessor Uncut. Formerly just known as Possessor. Yeah, when that happened? I have, dude, I have no yeah. idea. So there was a trailer released way back, and it was a, it was really awesome. It was really exciting. And then like another trailer came out, I think, or maybe it was just the first trailer. Anyway, I, I guess when Neon picked it up, they decided to add the uncut at the end because I know that Wellgo originally had it, and then. There was some kind of deal with Neon where Neon got the, the distribution for it and Wellgo is going to be handling the home release. So there, there's something something weird that was changing hands. And the thing is, like, to say Possessor Uncut, it sort of implies that at some point there was a cut version of this. But in my research, I could not find any cut version of possessor like it played festivals presumably uncut and then and now it just came out this weekend in theaters and it's also uncut so i'm just i'm not sure and i really did i tried to figure out like like all of the 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 press materials i have and stuff it doesn't mention anywhere on it that like why they added the uncut thing yeah and if you see the trailer there's a red band trailer that came out And it says, like, you know, this is fully uncut and this was, like, the the, the, the director's full vision or whatever. But it's like, was was there ever a a time when they were telling him, no, like, you can't do this. You have to cut it. So that's what I'm curious about. But anyway, this is written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. I have a, a synopsis here. Possessor follows an agent who works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies, ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high-paying clients. Now, Kevin, 
I know that in the past you've expressed discomfort in movies that have very extreme amounts of realistic violence. Uh, so my first question to you was how did you how did you handle Possessor uncut? <laughs> um you you were right. This is this is uh this is pretty brutal. The violence is uh not for the squeamish. And um I do I got to say that I didn't necessarily mind the violence too much, but I it is odd though because that is my biggest qualm with this movie is the violence. And it's not necessarily like the violence or like the level of violence or anything along that line, but more so of the fact of this movie has some some really interesting concepts going on. It's just very, very intriguing. But at the same time, I feel like Brandon Cronenberg doesn't really like inspect those concepts that deeply. It seems like he's just far more interested in like violence. Just I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with some fucked up things and I'm just gonna show them, you know, just unbridled, unbridled violence to have it close up on that knife going into flesh a lot. I'm going to show it a couple of times because <laughs> that's what I'm really interested yeah. in here. Like that's, it seems like that's all he's really interested in. Even though like the, the concept is of this story of these corporations and, you know, using assassins with brain implants and all that, like, I feel like we can do so much with this. <laughs> but it seems like Brandon Cronenberg's like, Okay, I have all these great elements. You know what? Knife going into a throat. That's really what I'm going to focus on here. That's the big takeaway. Well, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think that a lot of the a lot of it was a reflection on the the toll, the like the mental toll that this was happening, that that was that this was taking on um, Andrea Risenborough's character of Voss. She's the she's the main assassin character who's going into people's bodies and i agree with you i think that the the concept here is i mean whoa what a great concept yeah however i i didn't really have a problem with with the violence i think that it is very overt i think that like um i you, you it's impossible to not talk about the level of violence when talking about this movie it's it's it takes such center stage uh often and i think that yeah you're right it does overshadow the the overall core mechanics of of this world and i think that i mean i don't know if that's i mean i guess you had a problem with that and i could i, I can totally understand why but uh for me i, I didn't find it to be much of a, an issue well, I mean, it's it's not necessarily an issue to me. I just, I felt like it hampered the movie reaching its full potential. I think like you could have something so much better with this. All the, all the facets that you have here, it, it could have came out a lot better, but it was just so much of this focus on, and especially with the, I guess it's the second kill with the, you know, the fireplace poker mm-hmm. thing. 
That's when I was just like, that's that was at the point where I was like, okay, Cronenberg is definitely not interested in all the other mechanics of this. <laughs> He's just kind of using this as an excuse to, you know, brutalize people. All right, so I'm not I'm not getting what I'm what I was here for, but like to me, it still worked. I just feel like he just really hampered the overall potential of this movie. It's it certainly is uh it certainly is a brutal movie. He he does not shy away from uh showing every gruesome gory detail. And the thing is like it's very very realistic looking too. Oh, streamer. The special effects work done in this movie is outstanding. It's it's so good. I mean, in that opening scene, first of all, it, it, the the movie opens with one of the assassinations and what a way to open a movie. You just, I mean, it hits the ground running and it just, it's like immediately shocking. And I think that that just sort of sets the, the tone for the whole movie. Like this is going to be a provocative movie. This is going to be a movie that's going to be hard to watch at times and make you feel uneasy as you're, as you're going through it. But that knife going into that dude's throat, man. Oh my God. It looks so real. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I feel like I got a hint too of what Cronenberg was more interested in after you know she gets shot several times, and then there's a close up of her almost lifeless body getting shot in the face and her cheek exploding. I think that should have you know it should give me the heads up, clue, clued you in on <laughs> what you're about to witness. Yeah, what's going to take center stage in this film? It's not going to be the thing I want it to be. It's, it's going to be the overall brutalization of bodies. To be clear, though, it's it's not all blood and guts. I mean, there's there's a lot of really interesting other things that are happening yeah, in I, here. It, um, I mean, like, it I just guess that should be said. Just going like step by step through this, like when she when she enters. So first of all, just the 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 mechanics, like the engineering behind this this device, this like machinery that you can use to put your consciousness into like a host body, like take over someone else's body. Like it looks awesome. Like the design work on all of the, the machinery, like it looks believable. It doesn't look stupid or, you know, completely farcical. It, is it looks like it's very grounded and it looks like something that could exist at some point, you know, in our, in our distant future. And like just the process of how they do the, 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 the injection of, you know, one person into the other. And like, first of all, when they showed the scene of them prepping, uh, so Christopher Abbott is like, he's like kind of the host body for this big assassination and when they showed them prepping Christopher Abbott and they did that thing where they like stuck that like yeah. bore into his into his, the top of his head and they did the close up of like the little chunk of his head with the hair and everything it was so horrific looking but anyway the 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 effect like when they actually showed her going into his mind uh was freaking awesome how they like the melting like the the yeah. body oh, yeah. melting thing that they i mean damn that, I was, think that's that what, was great i think that's more so what i wanted 
because I thought those elements worked really, really well. You know, when it when it gets you know psychologically more experimental, right? Yeah, I mean know, the, the physical toll of this, and also the 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 toll that is taken on the psyche. Yeah, that was really because everything that happened in with the you know the melting bodies and the, you know resolidifying, and then later on when like she starts to like deform, and then he's wearing a mask of another person. Like all that stuff just, I was like, yeah, this is, now we're in my avenue. Yeah. I mean, I think that on paper, describing something like moving your own consciousness, I mean, even just thinking about how something like that would work, like trying to visualize something like that, I think is really difficult. And I think that what he does, both in the initial, like, the initial thing where her consciousness is going into his mind. And then also as the synopsis says, like he starts to regain control and that sort of push and pull that sort of battle that's within his mind where she's trying to take over the body and, then he's trying to, you know, get it back the way that, that Cronenberg visualized that I think was really awesome. And then especially like you said, the scene when he does eventually take out, take over his own body and th- there's that, that head crushing scene. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then he puts on the mask and it's just, it's all so uh, well visually represented. And like the, um, like when they're, when their faces are like mashed together, it reminded me of like some kind of crazy eighties, like, um, like society or Nightbreed or one of these yeah. movies or, or Hellraiser, like we you know one of these movies that uses a lot of in-camera makeup effects, and, and I think that that just is uh, is a testament to how like just detailed this this movie is, and and how it seems like Brandon Cronenberg just thought of every little detail, and it seems like he wanted to do as much of the effects work in camera as possible, so there's a lot of really cool like camera tricks and things like that. He uses a lot of color in this too, like lots of, um, you know, gel lights that just sort of bathe the scene in red or blue or whatever, you know, emotions are being felt during that time. And that all worked for me too. I, I loved just every, every visual flourish of this movie. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the thing that, ultimately bummed me out a little bit it's because i was really into a lot of those elements of it and then you know the concept of it and everything and i just i wish that was amplified more than just kind of the humdrum like oh they're assassins well to me to who's killing who's killing who here to me it was like sort of a a perfect balance. Now I know that, you know, typically you like things to lean more into surreal territory and I like things to just dip their toes into it. So for me, it was sort of that perfect balance between, you know, what's happening, what's happening in reality, propelling the narrative. And then also that sort of nebulous, like headspace, like this is happening inside their minds type of type of thing. I do kind of appreciate the, you know, the kind of the smaller scale, but ultimately large scale thing that it's saying here with these corporations uh, is how they took something like assassinating people and made it overly complicated. Like it's 
far simpler just to hire someone. <laughs> but but I also like, I was also thinking like this this company seems like a very legit like perhaps out in the open company. I mean, there it looks like it's got a lot of staff. The facilities look very nice and well maintained. This isn't some like underground operation yeah. here. Like this is like a high level thing so i'm just it, it does make me sort of want more more stories within this world because where it takes place i mean it seems like it is sort of a near like a near future um especially because you see some of the other like small <laughs> bits of technology like it looks like it could take place today but there's certain things that are they're off like for instance their whole wall is a tv and then there's also like the company that Sean Bean's character works for and that Christopher Abbott works for as well. It's, it's his soon to be father-in-law and like, they seem to be some kind of like, are they like a, I don't know what kind of company they are. Are they just data mining or are they? Are they, are they yeah, that's it. But it seems like at the, it's interesting to me because like how advanced they kind of are with their data mining. They're also like far, far behind because it's like, why don't you just at this point have AI do it? Like, why? Right. I mean, we already have that, right? Like our images, like <laughs> yeah, like our Google Homes and our Alexas and stuff are, are listening to everything we talk, say, you know, say and talk yeah. about as is. So it just seems really like. Just, again, overly complicated to have like a ton of Christopher Abbott types putting on headgear going into VR <laughs> to watch, you know, your, what are they called, rings and other other surveillance that you have in your house to just to pick out like, oh, the blinds have a pleat. Yeah. <laughs> These curtains are red. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. I don't know. Maybe Maybe we just maybe we're just not advanced to that level yet or maybe in this reality they other other advancements sure. took place over over ai well i think that that's, that's the interesting thing too is that like with our advancements our, we probably will get in and we might already be there but we're getting into the situation where now we're just kind of getting lost in the weeds of like because again you're just like well don't you just have all the data from people purchasing blinds like you just have that. Like you don't even need to go in their houses and see it. Just based off of what people buy, you have it. Yeah, that's that is true. That is true. Yeah, I mean they they don't get too much into specifics on how this company functions. Yeah, but it, it is interesting though. And I also like to point out that her is a, an assassin. Uh, like she's not good. She's not good at her job. Well, the the thing is, like, <laughs> so she's supposedly, like, the best. Like, the best of the best. But, like, she's a legend. But when we see her in that opening assassination, she's already, like, yeah. breaking. Like, she's already burnt out. Uh, we see that because she can't, she can't pull the trigger at the end. Yeah. So she's and already... She's also- She's got this fixation with the with the, the knives and stuff. Yeah. Some something in her broke. 
before before it the movie seems, before the movie started something in her broke yeah. it just again i mean obviously i guess this is very realistic too with these corporations just bad management bad decisions like you should not be investing in her at this point in time like things are going south yeah well she, she hit it she did she did hide a lot of it yeah but how much more did you know you're you're sitting in the room watching the stuff play out and it's like well shit we gave her a gun all she had to do was shoot this dude and she ended up stabbing up 94 times well, and they did ask her about that they were like why, we gave you a gun why did you stab him like a hundred times and she said it was because it was going to be more like close to the character or whatever but yeah by that point we all the audience knows that she's unstable like there's something going on in, in her head and but you know what like is it really a surprise that projecting your consciousness into another person to carry out heinous brutal murders would have an effect on your psyche like yeah. Oh, you yeah. can only do that for so long before it starts messing you up and that's not even considering the 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 health ramifications that this you know device probably has on your own brain yeah no again that's just i think that's again bad just bad management and filtering out well potential employees you should have one with someone colder they can just pull a trigger and then move on um, but yeah maybe she was like that at one point but I think in a lot of ways, uh, in a lot of ways, she became even, even more, even more colder. Like she's ice cold now. Yeah, but she's, yeah, but she's, she's, she's ice cold, but she's got that twisted, you know, like she has to inflict some, some really hardcore violence. Yeah, I mean, what she does to Sean Bean is like not. Yeah, you know, that's not that's and not that's, a, a simple assassination right there. That is, yeah, that's, that's saving. She ruined it. it. She ruined it. Right. So you have Jennifer Jason Lee in here as Girder, who is sort of the the boss character or the handler or the manager character of uh of Voss. And at one point she does say like she's ready to retire and that she wanted Voss to take over her job. So maybe that's why she was trying to keep her on to to transition her out of the you know, being the main assassin. Yeah. Performances across the board, I thought, were pretty fantastic. Specifically with um, Andrea Risenborough, she she was Riseborough, She was great in this, and uh, Christopher Abbott did a really good job too. So, yeah, no no complaints there. I thought all the performances were really really solid. I enjoyed them as well. To me, overall, it worked. Like I enjoyed myself with Possessor. I just I. I just really feel like there, there's there is something special here. Like this could have been far more fulfilling and far more intriguing. Uh, I've seen it twice now, and uh, I actually I think I liked it even more. I think I liked it more the second time because I seeing it again and knowing how it all plays out, I think just afforded me the opportunity to like look at some of the other like just small things in here, all the little hidden hidden cues and stuff within the, the visions and, and all of that. So I, yeah, I, I, this was probably one of the, my favorites of the year so far. Ooh, yeah, this right. is, this is definitely up there for me. I, I just very, very few things to complain about with this, with this movie. And like, 
I think that Brandon Cronenberg is, I mean, this is his second feature and I really liked antiviral too, which was his debut. I think that this dude's going to do some really incredible things. I mean, he already has done incredible things, but I think his career is going to continue to just shoot, shoot upward skyrocket. But I'm hoping that he takes a cue from his dad and doesn't go to Hollywood. I, I want him to stay in Canada and just do his own thing, just like just yeah, like his dad did. I'd, yeah, I'm far more interested in what he does with personal material stuff that he came up on his with his on his own, not you know going the Hollywood route. Yeah, because I feel like he is again. There's there's a ton of potential here. Yeah, I mean, like this movie is has been received pretty overwhelmingly positive, uh, but. Like, I don't know how, I don't know if a big studio looks at this. I don't know if Disney looks at this and says, I, I don't know if he's, he's commercially viable. <laughs> I mean, this movie is uh very extreme, like really extreme. I mean, not just with the violence, but there's some pretty, pretty graphic sex in this as well. So it is definitely not for the squeamish. There, there are multiple moments in this where I just was... I saw this with my dad actually, <laughs> and yeah. that was a very interesting, a very interesting thing to happen. He he covered his eyes in a couple parts. Oh, I'm like, sure he, did. he actually covered his eyes, <laughs> and, and I, remember, I remember I remember looking over at him a couple times, and his mouth was just hanging wide open at, at some of the stuff ha- happening. And I can see him again at the end of it. Explain it to me. <laughs> He he actually didn't do that. Like he he got this one, I think for the most part he liked it, but he he, he he thought it was just so over the top. Like I don't know if he'd ever seen anything like that before. And especially like I I don't want to get into spoilers, but what happens at the end? There it just there's just some really crazy st- stuff you almost never see in movies that happens at the end of this yeah. stuff that like a lot of directors look at as being completely off limits. He does yeah. in this movie, which I, I did appreciate that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's what I want. That's what I want to get back to, you know, like the, like the, the original pet cemetery movie, which mm. ends with, you know, the mm. guy just fucking destroying his son. Just fucking them up, jabbing them, throwing them across. That's, that's, I want to see some, you know, some gutsy moves like that. I like it. Well, I, I think there's some, uh, pretty gutsy things happening in, in this movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and give this a score, Kevin. What are you going to give Possessor Uncut? I give Possessor Uncut a seven. I'm going to give it an eight. Eight out of ten for me on this one. Highly, oh, yeah. re- highly recommend it. Good, good way to kick off the Halloween season for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on and talk about some of what we've been watching. We can start with you, Kevin. Oh, with me? Okay. Uh, I watched the Lost Okoroshi on Netflix. This is a Nigerian movie. What it is is there's this uh, security guard. And he's having this dream over and over again of these, these masquerades, these ancient 
beans like dancing in his dream and they kind of chase him. He's always running from. So the old guy in the village is like, Hey, you know, next time you're in that dream, don't run away. You got to They're like your ancestors. You got to embrace them. And he's like, okay. So he does that. He ends up becoming the masquerade. So it's him going through, you know, the very modern city of Lagos as this masquerade and him just trying to navigate the world as an ancestral spirit in the modern world and there's a lot of great stuff going on in this movie visuals are good there's nice balance of humor uh and commentary the the original score is fantastic um like a quarter of this movie is just kind of like a dance film because a lot of it's just visions of these you know ancient masquerades dancing with you know of course they have the the smoke bombs that are colored, you know, like purple and yellow and all that. So there's a lot of that going on. It's just, it, this was a very pleasant surprise. I thought it was great. And I just, I'd like to see more films like this. Cool. Where there's just a lot of creativity going on. Nice. And that's the Lost Okoroshi. And that's on Netflix. It's right on there. Get it. Just check it out on Netflix. Jeez. Do it. Uh, I continued my Fantastic Fest uh, coverage this week, and I saw Action USA from 1989, directed by Alan and John Stewart. This is um, this was the secret screening that they had, and they uh, they remastered it, so it looks looks great. It's going to be released back in theaters. Uh, very soon, I think. I think they said November. Um, but it, what this movie is is uh, it's a it's a movie that is written, directed, starring stuntmen. So it's heavy on the action. It's all about the action. It's in the title, Action USA. And the the crazy thing is, like, it's actually not that bad of a movie. Like, the script is actually pretty good. It's about this. Guy who gets into some hot water with these gangsters. He steals some diamonds from them. And he gets, mm. he gets killed by the gangsters. And the girlfriend of, of the guy, he, he, she goes into protective custody with these two FBI agents. And so basically the, the, the rest of the movie is just this cat and mouse game where these gangsters keep finding them and they keep trying to escape the gangsters and it just goes back and forth until a, a big climax. And you know, it's a, it's not great, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun if you're into explosions and car chases and cars getting destroyed and exploding. And some, there are some shootouts and stuff in it, but they're not they're not great. I mean, they're they're eighties. You know, they feel like an eighties TV show. But the car chases and explosions, and there's some other stunt work like uh, big big falls from from roofs of buildings and stuff. Uh, so if you're into that type of stuff, maybe check out Action USA. I think this will probably be available on that on uh, the Alamo Draft House, like Alamo on Demand service as well at some point soon. Okay. So keep a lookout. Keep an eye out. I watched Fright Night from 1985. Mm. I didn't get tricked. I watched the original. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tom Holland. Um, 
this uh, kind of hit at the perfect time. I going into this, uh, I thought that this was more of a just like straight laced horror movie. I didn't know that it's more so like a comedy. Oh yeah. And to me, it just it, it has a very. It, I found it similar in vain to like the Burbs. To me, this was the Burbs, but but vampires. Hundred percent. Yeah. So it like it worked perfectly for me in the mo- it, It's not necessarily what I was in the mood for at the time, but it turns out I was. The movie knew, it took advantage of it, exploited it, and I I was I was pretty much into this the whole way. I enjoyed this immensely, and I did appreciate like it's not full on comedy all the time, you know. It just kind of has this lightheartedness to it, and. But when it does need to be serious and kind of, you know, turns on the switch for the horror elements of this movie, it works really, really well. Like the, the, the effects work are fantastic. And especially like at the end, you know, the, the big culmination of them trying to destroy this vampire and everything that happens just, you know, they just went full on into it and it didn't come off campy or anything like that. Like, it just, I thought it was really, really effective. So I thought it really handled, you know, the comedy aspects and the more, more so maybe like serious horror elements of the, of the vampire. I just, it worked for me. I enjoyed this. Yeah. I love Fright Night. The, the remake is actually good. Really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's quite good. I mean, it's not like, it's not the same level as the original, but it's, it's good. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I saw the boy behind the door. This is uh, it's another fantastic fest. This is directed by uh, David Charbonnet and Justin Powell. This is about these two kids, two two best friends who get kidnapped, and one of them is left in a trunk in a garage, and the other one is put. In, like, he's like chained up in this room, this bedroom, and. The boy in the trunk gets free. He, he gets out. And instead of like leaving, he almost left. But then he decides that he's going to rescue his friend. So the bulk of the movie is uh, this, this kid, this like, I don't know, 12, 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid trying to sneak around this house and get his friend, rescue his friend uh, and not get caught. and it it turns out that this is like a, like a kind of a child sex slave type situation where there's like a, a quote unquote client that comes in and he has to like rescue this kid before before this guy gets to him and uh, mm. it's it's quite good it's really suspenseful I mean the movie starts with them in the trunk so it's there's no like big build up or anything like that. Like it just, it hits the ground running. And I think for the most part of work, there's some issues I had with it here and there. There's these really weird overt references to the shining in it. Like they actually recreate scenes from the shining, which I, I didn't understand at all because like thematically it doesn't have anything to do with the shining. So why would you include that in there? Like so, so, so for that I didn't really understand it. Um, and there were a couple other things here and there that I found to be 
problematic, but overall, uh, overall, I enjoyed it. Now, I will say that, like during the Q and A for, for this movie, the director, one of the directors, mentions uh, child abduction statistics and stuff like that, and it was sort of a one-off comment that he made, but he was he referenced one of those QAnon conspiracies and I, I think that it was unintentional. Like, I don't think that, like, I think he was just misinformed about that, that thing. Um, but it bothered a lot of people. It bothered a whole lot of people that saw the, the Q and a. Yeah. That's, Cause that's what I was thinking as you were explaining this movie. I'm like, Oh, QAnon people. They're gonna be like, see, yeah. So I mean, and and the the shitty thing is, if you like, if you know that going into it, like, if you know about those comments, which again, I believe that he just was misinformed about that. Um, you go into this movie with a, it, it feels different. Like the whole tone of the movie feels different when, yeah, when you're like, oh, well, this is just some QAnon, you know, bullshit. Yeah, because but, I mean. Also, it's like if it was he, was he messing up? Because you would you would hope that if someone's making a movie, they would maybe clear that up before they start the process. Well, yeah, and and, and the other thing that, but you never know. You I never mean, know. I mean, another another defense of this movie is that this movie was being developed and shot well before that QAnon stuff started. So. I think that that we can give them the benefit of the doubt here. There's also a scene when, like, when the the guy who paid to have, I presume, to have sex with this kid, when he pulls up, they do a close up of his bumper of the, his car, and it's, he has a "Make America Great Again" bumper sticker on his car, which mm. I was like, "Come on, yeah. like, let's not let's not go there with it. That's that's completely unnecessary." I mean, obviously, I'm not a I'm not a Trumper or anything, but we just don't need that in this movie. Like it added nothing to it. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, with those problems aside, I would still, still give it a light recommend because it is really suspenseful and, and goes to some interesting places. Okay. Well, you have two best friends. I have three best friends. Oh man. One up. Yeah. And that's vampires versus the Bronx. Oh, we we talked about seeing this. If I if I I would have watched this if I knew you were um going to watch it. Well, I was interested in this. Let me tell you. Okay, so one, we don't we didn't need to cover it. There's not a whole <laughs> lot to talk about, and I kind of knew that going in. There's not a whole lot to talk about. Two, it is it's it's charming enough. Um, it does have have a, a good feel of what it's trying to accomplish, and it does do a, a pretty good job of accomplishing that goal, which is just that this is it's vampires taking over the Bronx. They're buying up all the the buildings, you know, education. And these three kids, they kind of figure it out right off the bat. They're like, Oh shit, vampires, we got to take care of business. And no one else really believes them. And then, you know, as things progress, people start coming over to their side. And, you know, they fight back against the vampires. Now, again, it's charming enough. It's it's not fantastic. It's not really that memorable. But I will say that this movie is an hour and 25 minutes long. This felt like an episode of TV. Like, 
I literally turned it on and it felt like 30 minutes later it was over. And I was kind of just like, that's it. Like, I feel, I feel like we could, I think that this almost would work better as a TV show. Cause there's this, you know, they have all these characters that, you know, people living in the Bronx that I would like to know more about. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, it's, it's good enough for what it is. It's a nice, you know, easy night, easy viewing, charming enough, a little chuckle here and there, a little chortle might get you. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, nothing I think I'm, too I think, special. I think I'm still going to give it a look. Uh, Vampires versus the Bronx. That is on Netflix. Give that a look. I saw How to Deter a Robber. Again, this is this is still Fantastic Fest. Pretty much everything I saw this week's Fantastic Fest. This is directed by Maria Bissell. This is a comedy thriller, uh, Christmas comedy thriller. So, Maretti, you know that's that's like one tick in the positive already. Love love me some Christmas horror. Um, this is about a a boyfriend and girlfriend who sort of they they discover that there's this like spree of robberies in their neighborhood uh and the um they sort of get blamed for one of the robberies uh through a series of dumb d- choices made by them and they end up going to they have to stay in town so that their their parents are leaving and they have to stay, so they decide to stay with the girlfriend's uncle. And they set up like all these booby traps and stuff around his house because they, they think that the robbers are still there. Well, guess what? The robbers do show up. And it's fine, I guess. I, some of it was genuinely funny. Like I, I laughed multiple times. There's, there's some really funny stuff. Although... A lot of it I found to be a little bit annoying. The boyfriend, uh, I believe he's played by Chris, Chris Malky. Uh, he's just super annoying because he's so dumb. Like he's just a big idiot and he just makes every wrong decision that you could possibly make. And it's played for laughs. Like he's supposed to be stupid, but sometimes I found it a little bit grating. Overall, it's just a very light, uh, sort of inconsequential movie that I had an okay time with. So I I can't really recommend it because it's not like there's nothing really super memorable about it or anything, Yeah, but you know, it had a couple enjoyable moments. Yeah. Sounds like a vampires versus the Bronx situation. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Vampires versus the Bronx sounds better than this, but we'll see. Yeah. Cause you got two things that are pretty good which is the Bronx and vampires mm-hmm. and they're going head to head. They're facing off. I mean, what more do you want? I mean, maybe a better movie, but so you have Christmas horror. Look at this segue. I have Valentine's day horror. My bloody Valentine, 1981. Didn't make the mistake here Watch either. This. Nope. Did not. I'm on top of my game. I won't get 40. This is a situation where the original is far better than the remake. I, I I could definitely see that. <laughs> I could definitely see that because this movie's pretty fucking good. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of um, correlations to be made with Halloween. 
you know, with the point of view, the heavy breathing, you know, taking place on a holiday, that kind of thing. The killer ended up in a, a you know, a state hospital, mental ward type thing. So it does feel um, a bit familiar. Uh, but overall, this movie just really, really worked for me. Um, pleasantly surprised that it was Canadian. You know, as soon as someone said sorry, I was like, oh, shit, this is Canadian. This is awesome. I love it. <laughs> and I just love I love the setting. Like, you know, a, a small mining town. And then this, this guy, quote, unquote, comes back to murder people. Why does he? You know, like, none of this really makes sense. Like, why is this mining town so hell-bent on having a Valentine's Day dance for the first time in, like, 20 years? And of course, the killings start happening, so they're like, shut everything down. But all the miners are like, we're still going to have a party because we got it for some reason. And of course, you know, people mm. continue to get killed. It sounds so and familiar. They, they get killed in some uh, pretty gruesome ways. And like the, the effects work on the, on the violence was, uh, was pretty phenomenal, I thought. Yeah, and now the <clears throat> the only thing is because reading afterwards after watching this, uh, you know, I guess for a long time there existed a the, the the one that you could see had a lot of stuff cut out. So I'm not 100 percent sure of what I saw. Like I don't know if I saw like the the whole you know did I see my bloody Valentine uncut? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they have like I don't run, know. like the run times. You could compare the run times probably and figure out which one you I, saw. I think I saw the uncut one because a lot of the kills that people are talking about, I saw, I saw them all, I think, but you know, it's people getting killed in a mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's awesome. That's fucking great. A lot of pickaxe murders, if I remember correctly. Pick, oh man. Pickaxe murders. Guy getting drowned in boiling hot dog water. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Gross. One person gets killed and thrown in a dryer, and she's in a dryer for like eight hours overnight, and they find her. Fucking disgusting. That's some sick shit. Yeah, I I really like this movie, My Bloody Valentine. It's so good. I'm so glad that I, you know I watched this on a whim. I loved it. Fucking loved it. Uh, well, there's one horror movie here that I didn't love, and that's Bloodthirsty, another Fantastic Fest movie. This is directed by Amelia Moses. Now, uh, if you remember correctly, just a few weeks ago, we talked about another Amelia Moses movie on the show. With yeah. Bleed With Me. Yeah. Yep. She has two movies coming out, back to back. This one, it also stars Lauren Beatty. So, same, same star in this one as in bleed with me uh this is a movie that largely takes place in one location as well there's more substance here than bleed with me like by far but here's the thing like i didn't i didn't realize that it was the same director until after it was over and i was like watching the q and a and i'm like oh my god like bleed with me just saw that movie <laughs> Um, but this one didn't work for me either pretty much for the same reason that the other one didn't work in that there was just not enough here. Like, so the premise of this one is you have this, this singer who 
is she had a very successful first album and she's working on her second album. She's having issues with it and she's experiencing hallucinations and she's on this like medication and stuff. And then she goes to stay with this, this famous producer who uh, is, was accused many years ago of murdering his, I guess it was his girlfriend at the time. Yeah, I think so. But he was acquitted. Uh, so, so this young woman and her girlfriend go to stay with this guy in his large home and work on this second album. And all the while she's having these, like, so the guy convinces her to stop taking her medication. And then she starts having these hallucinations of her turning into an animal. And it's a werewolf movie. Mm. Yeah, it it goes to some I mean, kind of interesting places from here, from there. Um, like overall, though, like I just didn't find myself being very entertained by it. I found it to be a little bit too dull and a little bit too slow. Yeah, did, did people actually talk to each other? They did. Yeah, they talked talked more, but not a lot of listening. A lot of talking, but not a lot of listening. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, that's again. Yeah, that's called that's called bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty. That's all I have. Uh, I think I have one more, and that's called "Scare Me." This came out on Shutter this weekend. Uh, it's directed by Josh Rubin, and it has kind of an interesting concept. I actually didn't know that. I went into this movie completely blind, so I had no idea what it was about. And it's actually about this. Uh, these two two people who they're both writers and they go into the into the cat skills in order to focus on their on their writing and they just so happen to be across from each other cabins across from each other and they meet each other they sort of bond over the fact that they're both writers and then they decide there's a big power outage and they decide to sort of hang out together and they decide to play this game where they tell each other stories and try to scare the other person. So the whole movie is literally just these two people telling stories in front of a campfire Mm -hmm. in front of a fireplace, trying to scare each other. Like that's, that's it. Um, Now there is a third person. Chris red is actually in this and he, he shows up as like a pizza guy. He gets involved and he takes takes part in the storytelling for for a little bit but for the most part it's just these two people Aya Cash and Josh Rubin telling each other scary stories trying to trying to scare each other and the way that they try to keep it keep the the audience engaged is by um adding sound effects and stuff like that to to the storytelling and the 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 two characters are very like animated so they're like sort of acting out the different parts and stuff. And, you know, there's, there's kind of a twist ending, but for me, the twist ending doesn't really, it didn't, didn't really work for me. Cause I just didn't see the point in any of it. But again, like, I think it's a cool concept, but for me, it just didn't work. I just was not into it. Hmm. Anyway, that's again, that's called scare me and it's on shutter. All right, let's see what we have on VOD this week. 
we have on uh, on the sixth we have spontaneous that's the uh, sort of horror comedy about teenagers who start exploding oh yeah mm-hmm. it's with the uh, Catherine Langford and Charlie Plummer I don't know how to feel about it honestly we have treason on a desert ranch Grant Wilson rules a made-up nation with his family as his only subjects. When his son takes the mission too far and his daughter questions everything, Grant fights for control to face in the face of the family, country, and reality. That kind of sounds like nonsense. (laughs) Uh, We have Tanner Hall forever. Uh, We have The Ringmaster. Looks like a documentary about onion rings, and I'm not even kidding you. Oh, is it one word, two words? The ringmaster is all one word. Oh, my God. About, you're saying onion rings. (laughs) That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. I'm just reminded of the time that I watched the documentary about buffalo wings. And I don't even like buffalo wings. <laughs> this uh, is weird. This is bizarre. This is an aging chef from Minnesota has his life turned upside down when a relentless filmmaker from Las Vegas tries to make the chef's onion rings world famous. Very bizarre. Uh, we have the devil to pay. They started a war. She brought a reckoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phenomenon. That's a documentary about UFOs, I think. And we don't have enough. We don't have enough of those UFO docs. We need more. More evidence. That's true. That's true. Uh, Naughty Books, which is another documentary about maybe romance novels. Yeah. It's about the boom of self-published romance novels in the wake of Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then on the ninth, we have Henchman, which is an animated film. We have Cage Fighter. We have The Doorman. Be careful who you trust. Starring Ruby Rose and Jean Reno. That looks like that's about it for VOD. On Blu-ray this week, we have uh, The Secret of My Success from 1987, starring Michael J. Fox. Another Michael J. Fox vehicle from 1991, The Hard Way, where he stars opposite James Woods. Really? Yeah. This is, you know, probably back before James Woods turned into a nut job. Yeah. Curse of the Undead from 1959. The Deeper You Dig. This is an Arrow release, but it's a contemporary Arrow release. So this, this came out just last year. The Pale Door from earlier this year the tax collector that's the david air one shia labeouf um a lot of re-releases this week uh yummy from i don't know if that came out this year or last year i saw it a while ago it's on shutter right now it's a zombie movie that's uh actually pretty good it's a like a zombie comedy uh valley girl that's the remake save yourselves that's a comedy that came out very very recently or maybe maybe that's coming out like all together like one of these day and date things looked kind of funny um 
uh, looks pretty like that's pretty much it. Uh, the world is full of secrets from 2018. They live inside of us. Sorry, they live inside us. Uh, I used to go here, which was that comedy with uh, Gillian Jacobs and and um, and uh, Jermaine Clement. Yeah, that's pretty much it. What about Criterion's? Oh, we got one. That's a good dart. It's uh, Pierre LeFou from, um, what is it, 1965. So there you go. Get your Godard on. Get your Godard fix. Bellamundo. Look out. I got my copy of Parasite Criterion this week, and I'm very, very excited to give that a look. I'm going to watch the black and white version. Ooh. Art house. Hell yeah. Uh, All right. Thank you so much for listening. That's going to do it for this week. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, please consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be very helpful. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Mm